are some Sundays when I wish I were not up here talking with a microphone and a lot of chairs in between us. There are some Sundays when I wish I could sit down next to every one of you, whether I have met you before or not, <laughs> and hold your hand and that we might just talk to each other. This is second best, and I am glad you are here this morning. I am glad you are here, and I am glad for the people who will be here at 11.30, and I am glad for those who are watching us on Facebook. I am glad that we are together. I am glad that you have brought with you your grief and your anger, your courage, your hopelessness, your sorrow, your fear, your worry. All of those are welcome in this space. If you don't have one, we'll hold it for you and give it back when you are ready. I don't assume that we all think the same or feel the same. I'm sure we don't. But I imagine many of us have gone through some of the same emotions these past few days. And the first thing I want to say is that I see you. I see you who are especially impacted by the fear and worry in the days to come. People of color, I see you. Immigrants, I see you. Our queer community, I see you. Muslims, I see you. Those who are disabled, those who need health care, military, <coughs> families, federal employees, women, All those categories are people in this community, every single one. And I see you today. I am not going to do a lot of post-election analysis, or even worse, pre-election analysis. <laughs> there are a lot of articles you can read more, perhaps, than you might ever want. And we'll have months to think about all of that. I want to think today about what we do now, with the emphasis on the now and on the we. What we, each one of us, and we, our community as a whole, what role do we play in America's story now? How can we be storytellers and story shapers? And the best answer I can come up with is that we are going to love each other in the fiercest way I mean that in a few ways. 
I mean the kind of loving that is the bridge building kind. I think it is a mistake to reduce the Trump vote to a single block. There is no question in my mind that Trump would not have won without racism, xenophobia, homophobia, white supremacy, and misogyny. And we are going to talk about that later. But I believe he also wouldn't have won if a large part of America didn't feel left out of decisions, unrepresented and unlistened to. I have heard from so many of you who have told me about your family and friends who voted for Trump and you have said to me, what do I say to them? That's the bridge building kind of love and it's going to take a long time. But I do think it has to happen. I think there's a kind of listening that needs to happen. I think in some ways there's an opportunity now as we look at some of the violence and hatred already spewing into our country around us. There's an opening there to say to those we love, surely this is not what you wanted. Will you stand with me against it? There is listening to do because I do believe there is real hurt out there. The way our economic system has left people out so dramatically. Long-term loving work we can do. Work that has been happening and I recommend to you Jonathan Haidt's work and Mark Gerzen's work in the reunited states of America. So that is some of the loving that has to happen. But there is another kind of loving, too. It may be that Trump would not have won without those feeling disenfranchised and marginalized by our economic system, but he surely would not have won without white supremacy. This is the election that tells us what supremacy does. And so I am not calling today for unity as a country. <laughs> I am not calling for unity across all viewpoints. I am calling for the kind of fierce love that is resistance. The gift of this election, perhaps, is that finally white people are the victims of white supremacy, too. We have a chance to look our country squarely in the face. To look at our racism, our misogyny, to let go of the pretty lie that it is a thing of the past. to rip the veil off further, to have the hard conversation, to see what the history of this country has wrought. It calls for a fierce kind of love 
and you can see it starting. The activists and the progressive leaders rallying together peaceful, nonviolent protests and resistance, 10 point plans for how to prepare. The activists are getting ready. The truth is that we don't know exactly what to prepare for. I doubt that anyone really knows what a Trump administration will look like for this country. And yet, we are called to prepare anyway. We do know that now people are being hurt. You've seen the articles. Perhaps you yourself have experienced it. Permission has been given for the kind of overt racism, misogyny, and xenophobia that we haven't seen in a while here. But make no mistake, it never went away. It was simply under the surface. And now it has been allowed to come out strong, and I suppose you could say brave. This is, I think, the white backlash to the cultural changes we have seen. And here is the moment of hope for me. You know the idea of an extinction burst? This could be an extinction burst. This could be the death throes of white supremacy. But only if we make it so. Only if those of us who have been supportive from the sidelines or caring but quietly and nicely so as not to disturb. Only if we rise up together and say no more. Not in my name. Otherwise, we are looking at an operatic death. It takes far too many scenes to die. There's an article going around about how to talk to your children after the election. And um, there was a line in there that I needed. It really was how to talk to yourself after the election. The line said to tell your children that they are about to see a wave of love and resistance like they have not seen before. We are called, friends, to be the Rebel Alliance, <laughs> to be Dumbledore's army. <laughs> we are called in this moment to change the story of America. The truth is, America has always had two stories. There's the story of America's dream, America the Beautiful. And there's the story of the white supremacy and hatred upon which our country was built from its foundation. And we, I speak as a white person now, we have ignored that story too long. 
we sit here. So it is our turn, our turn to join the resistance. There's a third kind of love we are going to need. We are going to need to love ourselves and each other. We are going to need to love ourselves so that we can survive. I look for that to people of color and queer activists who know how to survive, who perhaps saw this coming, who knows what it feels like to live in a country that may hurt you. Amaha Kasa, founder of African Communities Together, said this, I'm exhausted, sad, and scared. Life just got a lot worse for me, the people I love, and the African immigrant members of my organization. But if millions of enslaved Africans who lived as human property, and tens of millions of my people in Ethiopia who live under totalitarianism, and hundreds of millions of undocumented and displaced and colonized people who live without any country to call their own, can survive and take risks and fight back and win, then we, with all the legal protections and institutions and wealth and technology we have at our collective disposal, can do no less. Resistance and resilience. There are those of us who are feeling shocked and newly scared. We can look for guides to survive, to resist. There are those of us I know who are feeling guilty too, that we didn't see it coming, that we didn't do more. I want to invite you to notice that, to love that part of yourself, and then to let that go. We don't have time to feel guilty. Instead, we have an opportunity for a new chapter. That is what we are called into today. We are called to be the story tellers, to make sure the other story of America wins, the one we love the one that hasn't ever won yet, except in pockets, in places, in moments of resistance and rebellion, in moments of love. We are invited into that love and resistance. We are invited into that new story we can write. I was nervous for this morning, worried about finding the right words, and I'm sure some of them have been right for you and some have not. That's the way words go. But I have at the same time never been more clear about the role of this community, about what it is that we have 
to do, about why it is that we are here. Listening to Laura read our statement of purpose this morning, the words took on new meaning to me. Those words that were talked over at length, committee by committee and member by member, just as a way to describe ourselves, you know. Those words are a charge for us. I feel in this moment the power and need for a community like this. As Clarissa Pinkola Estes wrote, we were made for this time. We were made for this time. We were made to be a place for people to organize, for people to resist. There are safety pins you can pick up at the welcome table this morning, and soon there will be a training coming on anti-bullying, on how to be a supporter and stand in solidarity when you see someone being assaulted or harassed. Because this is a place where we don't just put on the pin, we figure out what it means and how to live into it. We were made for times such as this. We are a place, too, where you can come to cry. A place where we're going to keep on celebrating. Next week is our Stone Soup Sunday. And we thought for about 20 seconds about whether we would need to change that. Could we really have this silly, funny, multi-generational moment together? And then we thought, oh, damn straight, our kids will come up and dance. They'll come up with their rocks and their vegetables and we'll sing and we'll tell a story of generosity a story that there's enough for everyone, the way we do each year, because that's who we are as well. We are a place to organize. I want to remind you that power is organized people and organized money, and we're going to need both of those in this world. We're a place to organize and a place of respite, too. A place to come when you have no hope so that someone else can hold it for you for a while and then give it back to you when you're ready. I have worried whether I will be up to the job that lies ahead in the coming years. And then I realized it doesn't matter. It will be the job to do, whether I am ready for it, whether you are ready for it. We will be ready because we will become ready in the doing of it. That wave of love and resistance coming, the one I promised my children, we are the wave. We and the communities of people across this country who have been marching 
and standing, who have been holding candles and crying, who have been saying, this is not my America. That's right. There's a different story to tell. And I do believe that we can tell it. If we rise up, we have enough power. We will find enough hope. We will create enough love. Patient love, fierce love, and sweet love. My colleague, Wayne Arneson, wrote these words. I repeat them to myself as needed. Take courage, friends. The way is often hard. The path is never clear. And the stakes are very high. Take courage. For deep down, there is another truth. You are not 